brother. How you guys doing today? Hey, first of all, you got a lot of people praying for this area, man. And I know people lost homes and stuff like that, but you got a lot of people praying for you. In churches, I even know a church in England, in England, Europe, they're praying for you. Praying for Redding, California. And uh, of the opportunity that you guys will have as a ministry here, you're sitting on a gold mine for ministry. And I bragged a lot about this church. I heard you guys opened up the gym and they had food trucks out here. So I was bragging about you guys. So you guys owe me. Anyway, uh, uh, before we start, there's one thing. Okay, so what happens is uh, when, you, when you hear a speaker and you knew his dad, how many sat under my dad's teaching? Just curious. Okay, about half of you. So what you're going to be doing is you're going to be checking me out. You're going to say, oh, he's like his dad. Oh, his dad used to say that. His dad used to do that. And rather than listening to what I'm saying, you're comparing to me my dad. Okay? So I'm like my dad. I look like him. I'm kind of like him because, duh, I'm his kid. All right? So let's get that over with now so you can tell your partner, just hey, he's like his father, just like his father. All right? Get that over with because I want you to hear what God has for, uh, for me to say to you that he has laid on my heart. So let's, let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you for this privilege. What an honor it is to be at this church. I thank you for what this church has done over the years through this community. How many lives have been changed because of the ministry of this place. And continue doing it, Father. I ask that you will bless this place, bless this congregation. I ask now that you will fill me with your spirit and you will just give me the right words to say. Will you let me communicate to these folks what you have laid on my heart. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I'm a passionate guy. Okay, I'm also loud, so get used to it. But I'm very passionate. I get passionate about things. I'm really passionate about my family. I love my kids. I'm just passionate about them. You know, every time I see them, every time I hear about them, my heart just skips a beat. I love my family. I'm just passionate. I love family vacations. I'm one of those weird families that I like being with my family on vacation. Okay, I know that's weird for some people. But I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about music. I love all kinds of music. Even country western maybe. You know, I know, I know, I know. I know I had a friend who said there's only going to be two types of music in heaven. Country and Western. But I like music. I like all kinds of music except opera. I can't handle it, man. No problem. Maybe the guys, but the women, oh, man, forget it. It's just bad. But that's what I, I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about sports. I mean, I love sports. I love football. I go to all the high school football games in our area. We have two high schools, <laughs> big, big area, and I, I hit them all. I get a season pass for all the sports. I love football. I know today's opening season, and uh, for, well, you don't even know that for the NFL, but I, I love it. I love it, man. I just love it. Anyway, that's what I'm passionate about. Most of you guys are passionate, too. You get passionate about things. You, some of you guys are into cars. You're into cars. You got an old car. You had it for thousands of years in your garage. It was passed on, passed on, and it's still not running. But you're passionate about it, man. You got it covered up. I go into people's house. The guy takes me in the garage. I go, I got to show you something. Got to show you something. Walks over there and he uncovers his car. It's ugly. It's ugly, but he just sees the beauty in it. He's passionate about that. Other people are passionate about their houses. They're passionate about decorating their house. They're always working on projects. Gardening. You know, some people are passionate about their gardens. Cooking. Oh, man. 
There are people who are into cooking. You're into cooking back there? They're into cooking. They love food. You go on Facebook, they don't put pictures of their family. They put pictures of what they're eating. It drives me nuts. It's kind of like they're, I don't know, they got a, they got a problem with food, man. I, we went out with this couple. We were at Rick Warren's church for a conference, and we went down there, and we were out there with this couple we haven't seen for a couple years. They take a picture of us at the dinner. It's not of us. It's the food we ate. I mean, they're just in the food. Now, sometimes people get weird passions, too. Like, for example, I'm kind of a throw it away guy. I like my trash cans full. I don't think it's wrong to bring your trash can to the curb that's half empty. So if, if, if I don't have enough trash, I'll find trash. My wife doesn't like that, but I like throwing things away. I just get rid of it. Get rid of it. First thing I did was when I took this church job over there in Hydesville, I mean, they've been a church, the building's over 100 years old, all right? It's one of those Victorian churches. that, And I found closets full of stuff that was from the first church. It's gone now. I mean, they, they're surprised how much room they have, but just throw it away. It's just a passion I have. Uh, in ministry, I remember Lori and I, we met this guy in our church. He was a single guy. He was, uh, you know, we went, we went over his house for dinner. He had paintings and all this stuff. He was passionate about art and all this stuff. So he goes, would you like to see my collection? So he brings out a collection of stuff he has, and he, he brings out a, a, a jar, and it had buttons in it. And he showed me buttons. Look at this one. It has six holes in it. Oh, it's real nice. There's a reason why that guy was single. And, uh, but if you're a Christian, one thing you should be passionate about is God, right? But however, sometimes that passion f- fades away. And Paul in Corinthians uh, uh, wrote the church in, in Corinthians 10, and he was concerned because they lost their passion, their kind of their, their first love. Now, let me set this up for you. Joseph was in Egypt many years ago. You heard the story of Joseph. And they had, the Israelites had good favor with uh, Pharaoh and all that. Everything was going great. But over the years, that relationship kind of figured, you know, through history, people forgot about what Joseph did. And the Pharaohs turned on the Israelites, and they put them in bondage. They put them in slavery. And for 400 years, they were through abuse and mistreatment. But God rescued them. And he, and, and he writes in 1 Corinthians, wow, look at that. That's pretty cool. I like that, man. All right, first script. I wish my Bible was that big of print. You know, they don't make Bibles that big of print, but maybe they will one day for us. But it says, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, the Israelites, were all under the cloud. And they all, all of them passed through the sea. And they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the spiritual food. And let me throw this in there. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And the rock was Christ. I mean, they went through this great blessing. This is what God did for them. First of all, he provides a cloud for them. Remember that? You guys seen the stories? Uh, remember the stories in Sunday school? Seen the movie? But he provided a cloud. And it wasn't the fire cloud, okay? There was no, you know, mayor wearing a mask or anything around it. It was a beautiful cloud. And he had this cloud up there in Exodus tw- uh, 13, 21. It says, by, the day, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel both by day and by night. Check it out, man. That's better than Google Maps, man. They had a cloud. They just a cloud told them where to go. They followed the cloud. And at night, it was fire, so they had some light they could see, and they followed that. I mean, this is so cool. You know, think about how God is. And I just look in the Scripture and think about this. This cloud was there. I don't know about you, but on those hot days, you know, I live in Ferndale, California. 
And like we have sometimes these heat waves, it gets up to 68 degrees, and we'll be outside walking, and I don't know if I can make it. You know, I don't have water with me. It's 68 degrees. I mean, and then a cloud, you know, a little fog comes in from the ocean, and it and brings it back down to the normal 63, and I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is so wonderful, you know. But uh, maybe you experience that too, huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome, and that's what that cloud did. I think it, it made shade for the Israelites during the day to protect them from the sun in the desert. And then at night, the cold desert at night, maybe that cloud of fire brought some warmth and some heat for them. But that cloud was there 24-7, 24-7 guiding them. That is so cool. And then he talked about the Red Sea. In Exodus 14, the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and one on the left. It just amazes me. You know, uh, uh, we did this in our Sunday school or in our children's wing. Uh, we made the Red Sea, and we had the sea was all on the walls, and the kids walked down it, and there were like fishes sticking out, fish sticking, fishes, you don't say fishes, fish sticking out and whales and all that stuff. It was so cool. But what amazes me about that is when they were, when they were fleeing the Israelites, I mean, the, yeah, the, the Egyptians, they, 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 were, they were walking on dry ground. Now, you guys know after it rains a lot and the fields get muddy and water settles on them, you don't drive through that. You don't walk through that. Instantly, the ground was dry. They experienced that. The Bible says all of them experienced it. Just not a few people. You know, sometimes in church somebody says, you know, the Lord was really good. The Lord blessed me. And everybody goes, oh, that's really nice, but I don't experience it. You know, everybody there experienced it. Look at this. The, and they had the leader. They had the Moses. They said the Bible says they were baptized into Moses, meaning that he was a great leader. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, since then no prophet had risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was a great leader. In our lives, in my life, I've known some good leaders, good leaders as presidents, and some special ones, right? Right? Okay. And so, uh, uh, but Moses was a great leader. I mean, he led the people. He encouraged them. He helped them in times of crises. He was a mediator between them and God. And they all experienced him. You know, we don't do that. Uh, even in, in, in our Christian world here, you know, some people sit under great preachers, some uh, other preachers, and people say, oh, I, I've, I've sat under his leadership. It's been great. But we don't all experience it. Here they all did that. And then this is awesome. Uh, God provided the manna for them. He provided food. You got a crowd of people, you got to feed them. Most of the times at churches, when you have big events, what do you think about? Okay, what are we going to serve? How are we going to get people? Who's going to help? And you can recruit people. And he provides manna. Exodus 16, 35, it says, The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came into the land that was settled. And they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Food scarce in the desert. I don't know if you've been in the desert. Uh, especially in Israel, but there's not too much food out there. There's not, many, there's not even very many restaurants. And so food is scarce in the desert, but God provided manna, and he provided tons of it, tons of it, 40, 40 years of the same food, 40 years of eating the same thing, okay? I mean, can you imagine if you made the same food every night in your house and what the people in your home would say? Imagine if you went to school and they had the same food in the cafeteria over and over again. But I believe that people got creative. I believe they created like manna waffles from breakfast. 
Maybe manna burgers for lunch. How about manna bagels? How about filet of manna? Yeah, they, they came up. The Italian people had uh, manna cholis. That was good. Germans had manna strudel or whatever, you know. Banana bread. I mean, they came up with all kinds of manna things. But they had the food. It was free food for 40 years. What if you had somehow someone something and you get all the food you want from Costco or all these stores free for 40 years? Would you thank the Lord? Come on. And then water. Exodus 17, 6. He says, I will stand there before you by the rock of, of Horeb. Strike the rock. And the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Water in the wilderness is scarce. It's scarce. Have you ever been in the wilderness? How many people have been to Israel? See? So let me tell you, I went to Israel. It was cool. A little country church sent me, man. And I went, the desert was bad, but the wilderness is even worse. I mean, there's nothing green there. It's just dirt and rock and dirt and rock and dry and God said don't worry I'll provide the water think about all they had think about this an escape route they had a they had a GPS unit they knew what to do they had shade at, in the day they had they had heat at night they had tons of food plenty of water they were taken care of for 40 years but then there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 10:5 says nevertheless God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. When I read that verse a couple months ago, I was devastated. Because I stopped. And I thought, wow. Look at all the stuff God has done in my life. Look at all the things he has done. Am I grateful or am I complaining? And is he pleased with me? Over a time of their sinfulness, erosion caused them to lose that passion for God. That passion for God. I mean, think about what God has provided us nowadays. I mean, we don't have the Red Sea, but boy, we have Jesus Christ who, who opened that Red Sea for us. I mean, he, ex he let us escape from the sin of bondage into an eternity with God. Do you know what that means? Check this out. This is awesome. The worst, if you're a Christ follower, the worst day you have on this earth, the, 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 the problems you're going through, the crisis you're going through, maybe your house burnt down, maybe you're financially in ruin, whatever you're going through, the worst time of your life is the worst it will ever be for you because you have an eternity in heaven. Do you realize this? This is, the law. this is as low as it gets for us. But for people who do not know Christ, this is their peak. The party, the free trip, the winning of the lottery, the new car, the nice house, whatever they get. That is the peak for them. Because they will spend an eternity separated from God. That's awesome. That's something to be totally jazzed about. And then he also gives us the Holy Spirit. We don't have a cloud. We have the Holy Spirit in us. If you ask Jesus in your life, you have the Holy Spirit that guides you. You pray and you ask, Lord, 
give me an answer. Help me to make a decision about this. And the spirit guides you. Have you ever, been, have you ever done this? Man, I do this all the time. This is free. There's no extra charge for this. My dad used to say that, right? All right, there's free. There's no extra charge for this. But, but check this out. You ever cruising or walking or you're at a restaurant you talk to somebody and you go, I wonder if that person's a Christian. You ever, you ever do that? You ever do that? Like, I, bet you, I bet you they're Christians. You know what we need to do? Get up and go ask them. That is the spirit moving in you to talk to them about Christ. I've talked to a lot of people about the Lord just doing that, just by listening to that Holy Spirit. But we have that. We have that. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ as our mediator to God. We don't need a Moses. We have Jesus. That's better than Moses, man. I mean, we have Jesus, and then God provides us his word that gives us spiritual food and, and water. And so when I think about this, I, wanna, I don't want my passion to wear off like the Israelites. I don't want God to not be pleased with me. I love Jesus. I love him with all my heart. 40 years ago, 41 years ago, I asked Jesus in my life. I made a commitment. I really did. And I, I can't think of a better life than with, 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 than with Christ. It just doesn't get any better than this. But there are times in my life, just like you in your spiritual life, where you feel far from God. You drift from him. It's not an overnight thing. It's just kind of this erosion process that comes. And I do not want, I want to finish well. I do not want to lose my passion for God. And so I came up with four things. I didn't come up with them. They're in the Bible. But I came up with four things. God came up with four things that I use in my life that I want to share with you. How can you as individuals keep your passion for God? Let me give you the first one. It's simple. Reading the Bible. I know you hate hearing that because, you know, you hear that all the time. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. But that's how God talks to you. That's how you spend time with God. You know, um, um, we have this thing in our church, you know, read the Bible in one year. And, uh, and that's good. That's a good program. And if you're in that, I'm not ripping on it and all this stuff. But sometimes I think that puts too much pressure on people. Because I have a guy in my small group. He comes in there and he's just stressed out. And he goes, Pastor Dave, oh, man, I'm, about, I'm, high, I'm behind about three months now, you know. I go, are you reading it? Yeah, but I'm still, I'm, I, I just have to rush. I have to spend a whole day. I go, no, you don't. No, you don't. Who says? Where in the Bible does it say you have to read it in a year? I looked. It's not in there. Unless your mom writes it in it. But it's not in there. Okay? And I think sometimes when you try to speed read the Bible, you're not soaking it in. You're not reading the words. Have you ever done that? Come on. I went to school. You ever read a book and you really didn't read it? Remember the SAT test? Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, so when you read the Bible, sometimes I believe, and this is my personal belief, okay, but I believe you had to read the Bible slow because it was written slowly. Read it slowly. I had a guy come in. He says, I don't have time to read. Like, he told me. People, it's weird. When you're in the ministry, they treat you like a priest sometimes. Like you're a confessional guy. He goes, uh, Pastor Dave, I've been trying to read the Bible, but I've only been reading like, one or two verses a day. You know what I said? Awesome. You're in it. You're reading it. Those must be great verses, huh? Yeah, yeah, I kind of think about them. Yeah, that's part of it. That's what God wants you to do is think about it. Okay, when I was a kid, we used to have a television. It was a black and white television, right? I think we were the last American family to, to get rid of the black and white TV. I mean, the screen was, I think this table, podium, whatever you call this thing, was bigger than the screen. It is bigger than the screen, okay? It was a black and white television. It was the old tube kind RCA Victor television. You know, the kind with the white dot when you shut it off. 
So when your parents say, don't be watching TV, and you hear them drive up, and you shut it off, that white dot stays there. So you, you blow on it, thinking it will go away. And then what does your dad do? He comes in and he fills the back of it because the tubes are like, you know, 100 degrees back there. So, yeah, that wasn't good time. And I remember one time John and I got to go over to Mike Reimer's house because Mike Reimer had a color television. Color. I mean it. And shows came to life. I mean, Gilligan's Island, man, was like, wow, this color. I mean, they have trees. They're green. You know, we used to watch Hogan's Heroes. It was cool. The lettering was, I remember the lettering, Hogan's Heroes, was yellow. It was awesome. I mean, this is how bored we were living in Capay. But that's, that's what we did. And I thought, that's how we need to read the Bible. We read the Bible like it's black and white. But it's colorful. It's real. I mean, think about these people, what they went through. They really went through. What if you went through that? What if you had to spend 40 years in the desert camping with a bunch of church people? <laughs> and feeling stressed now? Do you see where the grumbling came? Do you see it? You got it. Okay. That's how it was. That's how you read the Bible. It, it is a great book. You need to put yourself in the Texas. That's why I tell pastors, and if there's pastors here at Shasta Bible College, you need to preach in color, not in black and white. It's a, it's a real book with real people and real life in it. And it's exciting. I don't normally quote people, but uh, David Jeremiah wrote this in a book, and, and he says it. You don't ever read something and you go, I wish I said that that way. Well, here's, listen to what he says about the Bible. Listen, just listen. When you open this book, you are not just opening a book. When you read the word, you are doing more than just reading words. You are not simply taking in information. You are taking in life, warm from the breath of God. Is that great? Nor are you studying the works of dead writers. Rather, you are hearing the voice of the living Lord. And when the world is in crisis and when it seems down and the right has gone wrong, this book holds the answers you need. The Bible. I want to encourage you to get excited about studying the Bible. I don't care what version you use. Some people go, oh, I'm, I'm a King James guy. I got a guy in my church, in my, in my small group. He's King James guy. Every time I read a verse, he goes, well, the King James says, and then he says, you know what this means, and then he tells me what my version just said. That's, oh, that's good. But, you know, it's kind of like, ah, I have the King James Bible. It's good enough for John the Baptist. It's good enough for me. You know, that's how he feels. You know, and I go, okay, whatever. But I just want you to read the Word of God, and I want you to look at it and read it in color. So spend time reading the Word of God. And then the second one is spend time in prayer, praying to God. It's a communication thing. God communicates to us through his word. We tell God through our prayers. Talk to him like I'm talking to you. When I talk to God, I don't get formal with him. He knows my heart. I don't say, God, this is Pastor Dave. It's good to be one of your servants. I don't say that. I tell him how I feel. Sometimes I talk to him about certain people in our church. Mm -hmm. And we have a good talk. I have never heard God say, Gabriel, get down there. Do something to that guy. He's, he's driving me nuts. The most intimate times I have in prayer is alone with God. Now, I know you guys, but we have a beach by our house, and, and I go walking on the beach sometimes by myself, and I just, there's no one on the beach because it's 
50 degrees, you know, so there's no one there. And I'm walking on the beach, just me and God, and I'm screaming out loud, praying, singing, worshiping. Sometimes I'm in anger of things. Sometimes I'm happy about things. Just having this intimate time with God. It is so special. When you pray, pray what's on your heart. Talk to him. But it will keep your passion for God. And you'll find yourself praying all the time. And you pray him when you're, when you're talking to people. There are times when people come in and they're telling me about him. I remember a guy just came in. I didn't even know who he was. He was just man and he just sits in my office and he's crying. And I'm praying. I'm, and I, he's just hyperventilating, crying. And I'm not saying anything. I'm praying. I just said, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me the right thing to say to this man. You know, that's what God does. You don't have to say amen. You just pray all the time. Pray. And then the third and fourth thing we don't normally do, but the third thing is confession. We don't do much of that anymore. We confess the big things but not the little things. Uh, we do this at communion. I don't know, I do this at communion. But before I take communion, I sit there and I just ask, I ask the Lord, what kind of trash is in my life I need to clean up? Before I preached last, this morning I was up at 5.30, I was alone in mom's living room and I was just praying to God and said, what kind of things do I need to clean up in my life, Father? You just confess small things, little things. Maybe you said something harsh to somebody that you shouldn't have said. Just come clean before the Lord. It's the most beautiful thing. Now, you want to try something. You know, the Bible says in James 4, 8, it says, if you want to draw near to God, you do it by confessing. We tried this in our small group. I told the guys this. I said, you guys got to try this. You'll never do it again. You only do it once. But take a, one of those yellow pieces of paper, you know, those little, and go somewhere and write down your sins. Write them down. It is the most scary thing you'll ever do. It's easy to pray and confess your sins, but when you write them down, it's like exposing yourself. You write it on a piece of paper. Now, I automatically tell them there has to be a paper shredder there because you want to shred that. You don't leave them around for your wife to find out because your life is over with. But uh, just do that. But confession, just coming clean before the Lord makes you feel closer to him. That's how you draw near to God. That's what you want. You want to have an intimate relationship with the Savior. And that keeps your passion. And the fourth thing is obedience. And that's probably the hardest one I, I have to work with. Maybe you do too. But we seem as Christians to pick and choose what we want to obey from God. You know, I was preaching one Sunday and I was talking about forgiving. Which is really hard to do. But sometimes you have to forgive people that don't ask for forgiveness. You just have to let it go and move on. And I'm talking, I'm passionately preaching about it and all this stuff. And this lady gets up and she gives me the look, you know. You notice that. You notice the audience. Like I notice who's dozing off right now, you know. I notice when the, the elbows. I, you just notice that as a speaker. So she gets up and walks out. And then I notice our church counseling lady, she goes, runs after her. And I'm just dying out of curiosity. What did I say? You know, that's what you do and all this stuff. So later on I found out that she told the lady, she goes, you know what Pastor Dave said is absolutely right. He's preaching the word. I just don't want to hear it. And so when I was a kid, my mom, this, this, is, this is confession now. So when I was a kid, my parents, my mom and dad don't even know this. You're going to find out today. But uh, um, I used to have a Bible and my dad would always do this. He goes, go read this verse that's in your Bible. You know, my dad would do this. So I go in my room and I look at it and I just cut it out. See? 
So when he says that verse is in my Bible, not in mine, you know. So I started cutting out verses. I went to college, man, I cut out, well, you could rip out chapters, you know. Pretty soon it was just a cover. We laugh about that, right? Now the kid's cutting out verses so he doesn't have to, but we do that. We pick and choose what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I literally have businessmen telling me that they willfully cheat on their income tax and they think it's okay because the government's so corrupt. But how can you, what is this? You know, God wants us to obey him, period. There's no if or when, the, you know, or do this in these circumstances. There's none of that. I checked it out. It's just yes or no. Do it, don't do it. But do it, he says. But obedience, and you work on these four areas in your personal life, you'll see a passion for God. Because you don't want to erode. We don't want to be like the Israelites. We don't want God looking at us and saying, man, look at that life. Look what I've done for that life. And he's totally, or she's totally ungrateful for it. We want to have a passion for God. And then uh, another passion we should have is a passion for the church. And you're going, oh, yeah, typical pastor. He wants to now he's going to push the church, probably tithing. Right? You know, pastors. Listen, I was passionate about, I wasn't a pastor until I was 60 years old. By the way, some of you guys in college wondering, well, I'm out of college and I'm in a job, but it's not the career I studied for. You're not going to beat my record. Okay? I studied for ministry and I went into it at 60. So there, talking about a delay. But listen, listen, I was passionate about the church all my life. You guys know I was involved in Little Country. I was involved in it. And even... For the last, before we even went to Heightsville, for the last year, there was a small church in Dunsmuir, I mean Dunsmuir uh, uh, area that I used to go up there and I used to speak on Sunday, you know, intern. They, they wanted me there for one month. I ended up preaching there for about a month and a, a year and a half at this little small church. So I do the thing on Sunday morning, I go up and I do the thing, I mean, I do the thing on Saturday morning, I go, men's breakfast, I go up and do the preaching on Saturday, and then I don't see people in the church, so I go on Wednesday night to see people, but the issue is, I was always, and I will always be passionate about the church, because I think God is passionate about the church. In fact, that's what he wants. He created the church. We didn't make this up. We would have made something up totally worthless. God made this up. So let me give you three ways of staying passionate about the church. First of all, every ministry needs to be valued. No ministry in this church is insignificant. But we get prioritized, you know. You know, we do. We do. You know, the women's ministry thinks the women's ministry rocks in our church. I had a lady. We started a little men's ministry. Okay, it was bad. We started this men's ministry at a little country. And we had about 50 guys. And it, God blew it up to about 400. And it grew bigger than the women's ministry. And I had a lady come up to me at the church, and she goes, you know, our, uh, 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 the men's ministry is now bigger than the, the women's ministry. Like we're competing. Hello, this, every ministry is important. Children's ministry is important. Um, well, how, here's how God kind of taught me this. So Stonecroft Ministry used to ask me to do the Christian Women's Club couples night. And I did one in Reading, did a couple in Oregon, one in Eureka. And I remember going down to Yuba City. And I remember I, 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 it was, I was just at FedEx. I was at a, uh, a meeting in Sacramento and I drove up to Yuba City and I had a change at a truck stop, which is a whole nother sermon. And you'll hear that someday. But I'm changing at this truck stop and I go into the, to this banquet and I get in there and I'm just really mad. Because I look at all the people, it's supposed to be an outreach, and I look at all the people there, and they're all church people. You can tell, because they're talking church talk. 
In fact, I was at a table and they're having a little kind of conversation about politics of their church. And I look around and I'm looking for people who don't look like church people and they're all like church people. And I was really angry. I go, what a waste of my time. You know, I want to go home. I got to drive home after this. Oh, my goodness. So I get up and I do this uh, talk. And it wasn't really spirit-filled. See? And I remember sitting by the door and after you stand by the door and you have these little booklets and people are supposed to ask for them, you give them to them. And people are coming up. That was a wonderful sermon. I should have brought my son who isn't a Christian. He would have loved to hear. And everybody at the door was telling me who they should have brought. And I'm now I'm getting a little more Italianish, madish. Because I'm thinking, really? You should have? Why didn't you bring? It's an outrage. You know, that's what you want to say, but you just smile and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I was mad, and I was mad at God. And I said, what in the world did you bring me for? And I got a tap on my shoulder, and there's a Hispanic lady, and she goes, hey, uh, may I have six of those books? And I go, why? And she goes, well, the kitchen crew wants them. So I go in the kitchen, and here's about six or seven people that were working in the kitchen. And they had a pipe-in speaker, and they listened to that talk. And they came, they went to the Lord. And I thought, God, you didn't bring me here for those people. You brought me here for them. And what I thought was so insignificant, God had a purpose. And sometimes we treat ministries in our church insignificant because, well, it's just the little kids thing, you know, let the kids do it. Every ministry that this church has is significant. That's why you need your bulletins at home. And I tell my people, our God's people in our church, to stick those bulletins in your Bible and pray through your bulletin. And when there's an event happening, I want people praying. Do you know that I have over 200, 300 people praying for me today? And we have different events, and people are, I had a call this morning from a guy back east saying, Pastor Dave, I know you're speaking and reading today, I'm praying for you. That's what it's about. So when you might not go to an event, maybe you're not going to the Sunshiners luncheon thingy, pray for it. Put that on your prayer list. But every ministry in this church is significant. Never forget that. It will build passion in this church. You should, if you're 90 years old, you should be excited that there were Tons and tons of junior hires destroying somebody's living room last week if, for Jesus. You know, that's great. Keep it up. Just don't come to my house. You know, that kind of thing. But you should be excited about that. I get excited. I go to all the things. I love it. I even sometimes come and watch the music worship team rehearse. I sit there. I might be reading the Bible, and I listen to them sing, and I sing along with them. There's nothing wrong with that. You should be excited about it. Every ministry in this church should be valued. Second, every individual in this church should be loved. No individual should be ignored. Listen to what Jesus says. Don't, don't listen to my words. Listen to Jesus' words. A new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, one of the things we have to fight doing even in the church is this cookish stuff. You know, meet and greet. We have that. You know, go and meet people. And I notice people meeting the people they already know. Meet the people you don't know. 
I went to a church, when I used to speak at churches, I would sit in the back. Didn't know anybody. They didn't know who I was. They just, somehow they called it. And, and the, the only guy who's looking for me is the guy in charge. He's panicking because he doesn't know I'm sitting in the back. No one says hi to me. People walk in. They see me. They know when you're new at a church, okay? Especially if you, if you go to a church where everybody's wearing gray and black and you're in color, okay? It's just, trust me. And you're sitting there, and they'll walk in there, and they'll see you, and they, they kind of smile at you, but they don't even come over and say hi. And then they go and they hang out with their friends. Man, when even that little country church, when people, when new people, I saw somebody I didn't know, I go, hey, I go over, hey, how you doing, man? I'm Dave. How you doing, man? Welcome to church. What do you do? You live here? Right on. But we need to, we need to show people love. We need to fight being cliquish. And that's what's so neat. But I'll just free too. But that's so unique about a church, isn't it? Because there are people in this room that you wouldn't love unless you knew Jesus. Right? I got small groups. I, go, I have about four small groups I'm involved with. I got a small group Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock. I look around that table with those guys, and they're my best friends. But they are the weirdest dudes in the world. I mean, I do not fit. I got, I got the guy, Hell's Angel guy, converted from Hell's Angel, biker, you know. He's the guy who reads one verse a week maybe, and, you know, he's working on that. Okay. I got another guy here who's into flowers. Yeah. He enters flowers in the fair. In fact, when I candidated, I'd go to his house and look. I was tired, and I had to look at his flowers. Oh, that was exciting. I have another guy who's a poet. He writes poetry, and he, write, and he sends me poems all the time. I'm not a poem, poem kind of guy, okay? I don't even read the Hallmark cards. I look at the price, but I never read the words. My wife has taught me to read the words. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and then, the, then the other guys, we have two successful businessmen. We have one guy who needs to be successful. Uh, we have all kinds of guys. And I look at these knuckleheads and I go, oh, my goodness. I'm getting up early on Tuesday morning to get here at 7 to, to have an hour and a half with these guys. And yet, I love it. And you know why? Jesus changed my heart. He made me love people that I wouldn't love if I didn't know him. And we need to show that to people. We need to show that, that we love people. And everyone in this church should feel loved and welcome. Do you realize, I don't know about here, but in our church, there are people that show up on Sundays and they're visitors and they sit by themselves and I go, they're going through something. Nobody comes to church on their own unless they're invited very, very few people do it. And when they do it and they don't normally come to church, they're, they're, they're going through something. And how important it would be for someone to just go up and say, hi, how you doing? I'm glad you're here. Rick Warren's church, there's this big guy. He doesn't even have his name on the tag of his, you know, welcome tag. He just has hello. And he comes up and he just sees people parking and he goes, welcome back. He doesn't know if they're first-time visitor or old-time visitor. He just says, welcome back. This is so great. And he says, I'm so-and-so. How you doing? All right. You got some kids. So let me show you what to do. You want to go in there, and there's going to be a goofy-looking guy. He talks this way. And, and he's going to, you sign up there, and you put your kids there. And then uh, uh, when you walk out, you go through those main doors. By the way, there's some coffee there. Hey, it's on me, man. Coffee's on me. Tell, tell them my name. Just give them coffee. Exact way, right? And then they leave, and he has their names, and he puts their names down, and the car they drove. Then during the church service, he goes to all the visitors, and he writes a note. Hey, I'm thankful that you came here today. 
I, I, I hope you come back. It was, a, it was a privilege, a privilege to meet you. He has their names, and he puts his name, and he sticks it on their windshield on a big sticky note. He just sticks it on the windshield. Is that awesome? So somebody comes to church, and they're just down. Maybe they're lonely. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe something really bad's going through. And they meet people, and then they come back to their car, and, and the parking guy is even grateful that they were there. What a ministry. What, I said, you got the best ministry in this church. But people need to feel love. You make sure that you're loving people. And then the third way to have passion back for Cross Point Church is everyone should be using their spiritual gift. Now, according to Barna Research Group, 69% of American Christians have heard of spiritual gifts but don't know what their own spiritual gifts are. They don't use them. Wow! God gives you a gift and you don't even want to know what it is. That's insane. My mom, you wrap a gift up for her and you put it under the tree, she opens it before Christmas, don't you, Mom? Yeah, right. And then rewraps it because she wants to know what that gift is, right? Yeah, some of you do that too. Well, don't you want to know what your spiritual gift is? I can't believe that there are people in the body of Christ who've been saved, who've been a Christian for years and years and don't even know what their spiritual gift is. But folks, in a church like this, you need to be using your gift because no one has all of them. So I need people with gifts that I don't have. And when people are not using their gifts in my church, you know what they're doing? They're ripping me off. They are. They're hosing me, man. Because they're taking their gift and they're just sitting on it. And I don't have it. So I'm getting ripped off. I don't like to get ripped off. So I nicely encourage them to use that gift. So find your gift. You know, some people go, well, I took a test and I think, you know, I, I don't believe in those test things. You just try something. If God's leading you, there are some people who go, you know, I just, I just want to. I had a guy tell me, he goes, well, I want to be a preacher. I think I have the gift of teaching. I go, great, all right, so do you like to study? Oh, no, 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 I don't even like reading, you know? I go, oh, so you want to you wanna be a teacher, but you don't like to read? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I go, do you think that doesn't work too well with that gift? Yeah, maybe you're right. I go, so what do you like to do around here? If I had a job, if I could pick a job for you to do in this church, what do you like to do? Oh, you know what I really like, Pastor Dave? I like, I like it when we have to roll tables out and set up chairs. And, I, of course, I go, you like that? You know, that's like a curse to me. But you like that? He goes, oh, yeah, so cool, man, you know. And I like stacking the chairs and bring them in there. And he likes that. Boy, you find somebody who likes doing that, man, you get them. And I go, brother, do I have a job for you? You know, and he is so happy. He just loves serving. He likes it too much. Sometimes he puts them away when he's supposed to bring them back out. He goes, well, I get to do it again? Okay, I'll do it again. You know, but uh, you find out what your gift is and use it. Because if you're not using it, it's not an age thing. The Bible doesn't say when you get 65, you can quit. I don't see that in the Bible. I see death. I don't even see retirement in the Bible, but we won't get into that. I see working for the Lord, working for God. I want you to finish well, not give up, but be passionate about God from the very end. Dwight Moody, this is kind of an old illustration, but Dwight Moody, he had this Jesus only, uh, went to this um, uh, 
uh, Plymouth Brethren denomination. They were kind of exclusive. They didn't want anybody unless members at the conference, you know, kind of thing. And so he was a speaker of it, and they had this big banner, Jesus only. Now, they didn't have PowerPoints or anything back then. In the old days, guys, before you were born, when, the, when I was a little kid, the earth's crust, before it was hardened, they had these uh, uh, butcher paper, you know, like paper things, rolls, and they would roll out this paper, and then they would paint uh, 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 posters on it, and then they would hang up a poster up here at the conference. So they hung up this big banner poster, and it had paper, and it had Jesus only on it. That was the theme of their conference. Well, that night, you know, the people were kind of stuffy. That night, they left the doors open on the side, and the north wind came through and blew the paper off, so it just said, us only. And Dwight Moody kind of referred to that about them throughout the sermon. Dwight Moody can get away with it. And I thought, wow, how many churches are us only? How many Christians are me only? I want Crosspoint to continue being a Jesus-only church and not an us-only church. I mean it. I want this church to rock this community. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe all this stuff I'm saying to you is weird because it's geared to Christians. Think back to what I said about an eternity with Christ. If you want this life that you have to be the peak of your life, I'm sorry. But you don't have to. You can ask Jesus Christ in your life and in your heart right now. Will you just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you made the way for heaven. I believe you died on that cross for me. My sins, I'm a sinner. I need you, Father. I need you in my life. Just ask him in your heart. We'd love to talk to you about that too. But make that decision to follow Jesus. And then you might be coming here. You might be a member here. You might just be a visitor. You might be here 20,000 years. I don't know. But your passion's gone. You've lost your first love. And you need to get it back. Make a commitment today to start spending time with God. Just talking to him. Talk to him right now. Tell him where you're at. Tell him, say, Father, man, I'm far from you. I need to get with you. Make time for him. Maybe confess some sins that are in your life. Maybe ask him, where is the areas where I've been disobedient to you? I need to be obedient. I need to get restore my passion, Father. Lord Jesus, I just ask that you will cause a revival in this church. I thank you for this church. This church has impacted my life, my family. And Lord, I just ask that you will just change hearts. There are people in this room right now who don't know you. I ask today they will ask you in their life. There are people right now who are so far from you. This is just a ritual coming here. They have no relationship with you, but they used to. Restore that relationship in their heart. Break them down. I just ask that this church will just have an influence on this community. In your holy name we pray, amen.